Warning, this podcast may contain content and discussions of a graphic and mature nature. Some material may be inappropriate for children, and strong adult language may be present. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Devil's Hour, a podcast for the strange and unusual. I'm your host, Darius, and today uh, our guest is going to be my sister, Jubilee. Hi, I'm Jubilee. (laughs) Thanks for dropping by, Jubilee. Um, So the reason, well, the case we're going to be covering today um, is the the tragic and horrific um, abduction and murder of Junko Furuta. Um, And it's, it's also known as, you know, Junko Furuta's uh, quote unquote, 44 days in hell. But the reason why I really wanted to, I've been wanting to get my sister on as a guest for a while. Um, but I guess the reason why I wanted her to be the guest for this case specifically was because, um, she's, she's a big fan of, uh, well, you're a big fan of Japanese culture, really just, just, you know, you like South Korean culture too, as well, right? Yeah. I just really have a deep respect for Asian culture. I think it's really cool. And there's a lot of awesome things that come with Asian culture and, um, it's very interesting to me. So, um, when you told me about this case, I was really excited to be a part of it. Um, and also really saddened that something like this has happened especially as a woman I can I feel like I can kind of put myself in her shoes you know I as a lot of women have gone through you know sexual assault things in their life um so I just wanted to be able to you know uh, talk about that sort of thing here on the podcast today yeah no for sure um and that's yeah that's definitely why I wanted to have you on specifically for this episode because you know this does it is a japanese case she she was japanese um a japanese teenager and uh that's why i wanted you to, to come on because you i know you have a deep appreciation and respect and you're more knowledgeable about their culture than, than i am for sure um I, I know very little about their culture but before i get into the actual case of junko furuta i do want to just uh, cover some uh, i guess housekeeping things before i get started so um uh, those who are follow the podcast or who are you know weekly or monthly listeners, um, you'll probably notice that I hadn't released any episodes for the month of April, um, and I just want to apologize for that. Uh, I didn't update anyone on it, but it's been really busy lately. My brother got married um, last month in April, and I was actually the best man for the wedding. So um, I was just busy with that, busy with a lot of other stuff, projects I'm doing and working on. Uh, I'm a musician in a few bands, so I'm doing that as well. So. Um, yeah, I just didn't have time to, to really sit down and study a case and release any episodes for the month of April. Um, but things will, things are getting back on track for this month. I will be releasing two episodes this month in May. Um, and really I want to just, I, I, I've never really covered it before, but this podcast is really going to be, a, um, a bi-weekly podcast. So I'll be releasing, uh, I'm really going to be trying to release two episodes every month, um, the end term goal, I would love to be able to get it to where it's a monthly, po- uh, weekly podcast. I'm sorry, where I release a new episode every week. But just because of 
you know, I have, you know, I have a full-time job, you know, like I'm, I'm in two bands, um, I'm involved in other things. Uh, I don't have the time to release it weekly, but I do want to get to a place where hopefully this could be my full-time job and I'll be able to do, you know, an episode a week or a couple episodes a week, you know, that would be, that would be amazing. But for right now, two episodes a month, um, is what I'm going to shoot for. Uh, also because I want my episodes to be quality. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to short anyone or just put out content. Cause I could, to be honest with you guys, I could totally do one episode a week. Um, I could definitely do that, but I, to be all in all honesty, I feel like the quality would definitely suffer. Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be as good. The research wouldn't be as thorough. Um, and so, yeah, and I think you'd be definitely as a listener, you'd be able to heal, hear that and feel that. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to short you guys on anything. I want to, whatever I do, give it a hundred percent and feel confident in it. So that's why I want to do a bi-weekly podcast just because just for now, because I want every episode to be quality and, and really thorough and good information. So just wanted to cover that. Um, and then, uh, the last thing before I get into the case is at the beginning of each episode for the podcast going forward, I do want to talk about, um, any like uh, current true crime, horror, or paranormal related news or events happening uh, in you know in the lo- either local area or the states, just any sort of news, whether it's movies or documentaries or you know events happening, just different things related to you know true crime or horror. I want to touch on that before each episode starts. You know, mm-hmm. just like a little tidbit. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to get that out of the way, um, and I guess we can talk about um, like. There's not really any news that I know of um, right now for for true crime um, in the sense of like things happening, but I do know like just in terms of the like the entertainment world, I guess you could say. Um, Netflix, uh, I think like last week released a documentary called "The Sons of Sam: A Descent into Darkness," uh, and for those of you who haven't heard of it or seen it yet, it's a it's a Netflix. I think it's a four part. Netflix docu-series about um, David Berkowitz and the um, well, he's the son of Sam, son of Sam Killer. Um, so it's it's a documentary about that, and it's it's very very good. I actually watched it, binge watched it. It's very um, enlightening. Like it's a lot of information that I had no idea existed before. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the weird thing is, the son of Sam case, like I've heard of it a lot before. It was never something that I was interested in. Um, I, like it was just never something that was like a super interesting case to me for some reason. Like I thought it was pretty straightforward. Um, but with with this documentary, it's just very. Um, it presents a whole other side that I did not even know existed with the case of, of Son of Sam. Um, so I definitely recommend you watch it. It's honestly a lot better than the Night Stalker documentary that they released on Netflix. I wasn't a really big fan of that. Um, I just I don't know. I, I just thought it was pretty boring. Honestly, I thought it was. There's just a lot of there's just better documentaries out there for the night stalker um yeah i feel like i when i watched the night stalker it wasn't as factual like there wasn't a lot of like facts about the case or i don't know it just felt really rushed and like they barely showed any of the trial which is some of the good stuff that i like to see on type of documentaries and stuff (laughs) so that wasn't my favorite either to be honest yeah yeah for sure so the son of sam's one Oh, it's called Sons of Sam. Yeah, the Sons of Sam one. Um, definitely 100% better than the Night Stalker one. I would give that a shot. Um, another thing, The Conjuring Three. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's coming <laughs> out uh, June 4th, right? Is that yeah, June 4th? June 4th, I think. Yeah, so that's coming out. So that's that's news. Um, yeah, we're excited for that one because 
The Conjuring, the first Conjuring ever, that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. horror movies. Uh, I think it's a really good. It's probably, it might be my favorite possession movie ever. It might be. Uh, it's definitely up there for sure. It's a really, really good movie. The second one was like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great, in my mm-hmm. opinion. It was like so-so, like whatever. The first one's really good. So the third one, you know, I hope they end, you know, the trilogy on a, on a high note. I'm not, I don't know if it's going to be the last one in the series, but I hope they end it really well. Um, so high hopes for that one. Um, was there any other movie that was coming out? Um, oh, well, I think Spiral just released in theaters. The It's a part of the Saw franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you guys, anyone's a fan of Saw. Um, but yeah, Spiral just released. I haven't seen it yet, but if I do see it, I'll definitely give you guys, let you guys know how it is. But yeah, so now that that's out of the way, we can definitely get into the case now. So, um, yeah, so the Junko, the Junko Furuta case, uh, is a very, I know there was already a disclaimer as there is at the beginning of all of my episodes, but, uh, I just want to give a second disclaimer because this case is honestly, and no exaggeration when I say this, probably... Um, I think it is, in my opinion, the worst case I've ever read about or studied. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely the worst. Um, and I know, well, whenever crimes happen against children, like especially small children, young children, that's like in a class by itself, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't even consider that because that's 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 a whole other level of just evil, evil right? Yeah. Madness. Um, but for this, this is definitely the worst true crime case I've ever heard about. Um, it's really hard to, to research and to read about and watch documentaries about um it's just so so sad and and mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's very hard so if you know we're going to be covering some topics of definitely of uh, torture sexual assault rape so you know if you're not um uh if you're if you don't think you can you know hear that or you don't want to hear that i definitely this might not be the podcast for you this episode um specifically yeah this case is known throughout japan um by many different names such as the concrete encased high school girl um, and also, she's also known as the girl who spent 44 days in hell. Um, this is because Junko Furuta was kidnapped, brutally tortured, and raped for 44 days before she was ultimately murdered. Um, just some background information on Junko Furuta. Um, she was Japanese. She was born in... And just a disclaimer, I don't know how to speak Japanese, so I may pronounce these wrong, these names wrong. Both the, the people involved and the cities and stuff. Just as a disclaimer. Um, but yeah, so Junko Furuta was Japanese. Um, she was born in Mis- Misato, uh, Sit- yeah, Misato, Sitama, which is a, a city in Japan, on January 18th, 1971. Um, this would make Junko 17 years old at the time of her abduction, torture, rape, and murder. Um, she lived with her parents, her elder brother, and her younger brother. Uh, as a teenager, she attended Yashio Minami High School and worked part-time at a plastic molding factory um, during after school, like during after school hours. Um, let's see, so at high school, uh, Furuta was well-liked by her classmates. She had high grades. Um, she was really popular. She was uh, really pretty and bright. Um, she was also known, you know, she was a great student, made great, great grades. She was also known as like a like a really like a good girl yeah yeah she didn't do drugs she didn't drink she didn't smoke nothing like that so she was really good girl good student um i guess like the kind of student you'd want right or the kind of daughter you would want Mm -hmm. um and she was very beautiful she was a very beautiful girl very attractive girl um well in um junko's class or at her school at least 
there was a boy by the name of Hiroshi Miyano, um, and he was 18 years old uh, and seen, and, and Yo, uh, Hiroshi um, was seen as like a school bully. Yeah. He was uh, someone who had connections with the Yakuza, so everyone feared him. So for those of you who don't know who the Yakuza is or, or what they are, Yakuza is basically the uh, Japanese like mob crime syndicate. So, yeah. And not only that, like, I did, I didn't, I knew, like, Japan had gangs and stuff, especially the Yakuza, I've heard of them before, Mm -hmm. um, because of, like, their tattoos and stuff, like, that's really big for the members of the Yakuza, but I did, like, my own research just to kind of see, like, what, what is this gang, you know, and honestly, it's super crazy just how much influence the Yakuza have in the Japanese culture, like, this gang goes back, like, 3,000 years, like, it's super old gang, um, that started, like, back in the, um, like, traditional times of Japan, and it just evolved with time, and now in the Japanese culture, like, it is such a big thing, like, the police cannot get rid of it in Japan, like, honestly, they have ties with, like, uh, real estate in Japan and all different types of things, Mm -hmm. um, that have like like significance in the culture um like they have like criminal activities like um with like drug smuggling human trafficking and arms smuggling but they also hold like significant amount of stocks in large legitimate corporations and like have close ties with Japanese like business world and banking sectors and like real estate market so I thought it was just really crazy how much like influence they have and just how like not even the police or like the government really in japan can do much about it because of how influential they are and how big they are Mm -hmm. so like when i was reading about this case and like about how everyone was really afraid of them i at first i was like well why like i mean i know they're a gang but like there can still be stuff done you know but but then once i learned like just how influential they are like I was like, okay, I get it. I get why everyone's not as quick to jump to help, you know? Yeah. No, 100%. I mean, that kind of reminds me of... That's a good perspective of it because that, that kind of reminds me of how, like, the Italian mob was um, in America back in the... Like, not anymore, but in the, like, 70s, like, 60s, 70s, um, and 80s, I think, even. Um, like, the mob was so... It was such a big part of American society, especially in, like, New York and stuff and Vegas. Um, it like they ran, you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. owned a lot of, they had a lot of police officers and even P- FBI agents in their pocket. So I imagine yeah. now it's not really, I mean, I don't really know how it is now. I know that the mob definitely doesn't, isn't as powerful or prominent as it once was. That's for mm-hmm. sure in America. But yeah. So if, if, a if the Yakuza, the Japanese mob is anything similar to what the American mob was, you know, back in the day, then yeah, that's, I can definitely see why they'd be scary and why everyone would fear them. Right. Yeah. Much, much more back then. Like. And even now, they actually have done some good. Like, this is kind of crazy, but they've actually done some good in Japan. Like, when they had this, uh, I believe it was a, either tsunami or earthquake recently, they used a lot of their influence and their money to help citizens that had gone through the hardship of that tragedy, you know? Mm-hmm. They, like, gave back to the citizens, which was kind of cool to see such a... Something that... that essentially isn't very good to have in a community but to have them do something good kind of shows like 
you know, like even though they're not, it's not really a good thing to have gangs around, they still did something good with it, you know? Yeah, So definitely. So, yeah, just kind of getting back to, I guess, the story, like Hiroshi Miyano, um, the 18-year-old classmate of Junko's, um, he was he was known as a school bully, and he had connections to this Japanese gang, the Yakuza. Um, so everyone at school feared him because of these connections, and no one dared to oppose him because of it. So he kind of was like a hot shot; would always kind of cause trouble with him and his, his him and his friends always caused trouble, uh, and no one really questioned it or opposed him because of it. Um, and so Hiroshi uh, reportedly had a crush on Junko Furuta, and. He acted on these feelings and asked her to go out with him, but she politely declined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is believed that this is where the animosity and the motive for the case stemmed from, is her rejecting him, essentially. Whether she did it, even if she rejected him in a not polite way, even if she just, you know, was said yeah. no, that no means no, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but... She, she just said no, and because he's so used to, he was so used to getting what he wanted, he was so used to no one dare, no one would dare say no to Hiroshi, yeah. someone who was part of the Yakuza or had connections with the Yakuza, you know? Mm-hmm. He was so used to getting what he wanted all the time, he did not handle this rejection well. Yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, this is where the story begins, really. Um, so, yeah, so Junko Furuta's story begins on November 25th, 1988. Junko was riding her bike home from school after finishing work at her part-time job. Um, It was during the bike ride home that Junko was suddenly kicked off her bike by uh, a teenage boy who then instantly ran off. The boy would later be identified as Shinji Minato. Um, He was a close friend and accomplice of Hiroshi. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Junko didn't know this at the time. She was just kicked off her bike and he just ran off very, very quickly. Um, once Junko was kicked off her bike, Hiroshi then approached Junko, pretending to be like an innocent bystander yeah. and, and like witness to the attack, if you want to call it. And he offered to walk her home and keep her safe. Uh, and Junko agreed to this. Yeah. Um, so this was clearly, this was a setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was setting it up. Um, essentially, he told his friend, this was later confirmed, by the way, but yeah, he essentially told Shinji, his friend, hey, you know, go kick her off her bike and I'm going to go and... Play the hero. Play the hero, right, yeah. and, and offer to walk her home. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what what they what he did, and it, it essentially worked because Junko, you know, agreed to it. Um, but on in all honesty, I think even if Junko didn't agree to it, I think the result would have been most likely would have been the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, but I guess we'll never really know. So Hiroshi's sinister intentions would soon come to light. Um, he he led her to an empty warehouse as he was walking her. He led her to an empty warehouse where he explained that he had connections to the Yakuza. He then began shouting at her, stating he was going to kill her as he continuously raped her um, at at the abandoned warehouse. Um, She was later taken to a hotel where she would be raped once again. Uh, And then around 3 a.m., Hiroshi then took Junko to a park where they met up with three other boys who are uh, involved in this case. So mm-hmm. their names are, and maybe you'd be able to help me with this, but their names are, uh, looks like Joe Ogura. Ogura. And he was 17 years old. Um, obviously Shinji Minato was one of the boys who was the boy who kicked her off the bike initially. He was 16 years old. And the last, the fourth boy was Yashushi Watanabe. 
Yeah, Yashushi Watanabe, yeah. And uh, he was 17 as well. Um, they told Junko that they knew where she lived. So they all met up with him at the park, with, with them at the park. Um, so it was four boys and Junko. Mm-hmm. And they all told Junko that they knew where where she lived and that they, they threatened to kill her entire family if she decided to try and escape or scream for help or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she clearly was stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, she obviously wanted to protect her family and was frightened. Yeah, and putting yourself in this girl's... She's 17 years old, young girl, Mm -hmm. in her shoes. You know, she knows just how much influence the Yakuza have in her culture, obviously. But what would... I wouldn't even know what to do in that situation, you know? Like, being 22 that I am, you know? So I can just imagine a girl at her age being scared out of her wits, you know? Of course. It's pretty sad. Yeah, it's frightening. I mean, yeah, no, most definitely. It's definitely frightening. I can't imagine the fear that was was gripping her at that moment. Yeah. But soon after this, this meetup at the park, um, the boys um, took Junko Furuta to a house that belonged to one of the boys. It actually belonged to Shinji, the boy who kicked her off the bike. Um, they took her back to Shinji's house, and his house was located in Ayazi District, uh, the Ayazi District of, a- of Adaichi, Tokyo. Um, and it was here that the real horrors would begin. Um, noticing that their daughter never came home from work, Junko Furuta's parents called the police and reported that their daughter was missing. However, the boys holding her captive made sure to... Um, made sure that the police wouldn't continue looking for her. And the way that they did this was they forced Junko to call home and talk to her parents and say that she had run away and was staying with a friend. Um, So because of this, because she called her parents and told them that she ran away with a friend, essentially the manhunt was called off and the police stopped talking, um, stopped searching for her. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is essentially... You know, unfortunately, um, right. why she, you know, di- was, died and yeah. being murdered um, is because no one was looking for her because these boys, these four murderers, essentially forced her to to call her parents and call off the manhunt. Essentially, yeah. it was it was just it's just a very very horrible situation. I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. But so it's all. But it's also important to know, and it's it's crazy, but that when. Um, Minato, Minato's parents were around. Minato is uh, Shinji Minato. He's the boy who who owns the, well. His parents own the house, and he's the boy who kicked her off her bike initially. Yeah. Um, whenever Minato's parents were around, remember because they're at his house. Whenever they were around, Minato, um, Junko was forced to pretend to be um, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She she was forced to pretend to be the girlfriend of one of the boys. So the Minato parents. Um, they, they, they just thought she was like a girlfriend of one of them, so they were, didn't, they weren't suspicious of it, right? Um, so because she, she was forced to pose as their girlfriend against her will. However, they, be, although they believed this to be true at first, the parents, uh, as the days and like weeks passed, and they noticed that she like never left, yeah. they eventually began to catch wind of what was really going on, and they began to believe that she was actually there against her will. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the truly frustrating and crazy thing is that even though they had this suspicion and kind of knew what was going on um they they did nothing they did absolutely nothing about it um because and later on in trial when they when they would testify in court and were asked about it they stated that they were afraid of hiroshi because they knew he had connections to the yakuza yeah they were afraid of him and that's why they didn't come forward that's why they didn't 
question what was going on or stop yeah. it, which is insane. I mean, I guess that just goes to show you just, just how scared they were. Yeah. Just how much that influence really. And it, when I was reading that too about the case, I thought it was so crazy. I thought like, even though like they pretended that she was their, you know, girlfriend, like as a parent or as an adult, this little girl, you could obviously see when somebody is going through something like that, you can tell, like, you can tell if someone's unhappy, you can tell if there's like, you know what I mean? Like there obviously had to be some type of bruises going on, some type of, of, you know, she looked probably distraught. Like Mm -hmm. how did they, and so in the beginning I was like, okay. And then after when they knew, you know, obviously you catch wind of it. It was just really disheartening. And I and I feel for the parents, too, because they probably were scared out of their wits. But come on, this is a little 17-year-old girl. You you got to try something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that was truly heartbreaking for me to know. She probably was thinking in her mind, here I am sitting in front of two adults who I feel should do something, but nothing's happening. Nothing's changing for my situation. So it was pretty sad to read about. And, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess it just, it's just further evidence that like, you know, how, how, um, the, the, yeah, the fear, like the grip of fear that the Yakuza had on in a Japanese society, or at least for some people, I'm not saying everyone's scared of them, but I know obviously they were mm-hmm. scared of the ties to the Yakuza. However, you know, it's still frustrating. I mean, I know it's easier said than done, but I, yeah. I feel like no matter what, even if, even if it costs you your life, you know, yeah. even it, even if it's like, it's possible that you could face repercussions from something like that like you still got to do what's right you know Mm -hmm. like you said it's a 17 year old girl you know she's not even an adult yet you have to you have to do what's right and you have to you know stand up for something you know Mm -hmm. even if it means losing something you know yeah um so that that was definitely frustrating to read and and that just that was infuriating in itself um and you know we haven't even really delved into the details of the case yet but we're about to so during during the 44 days uh, during the 44 days following her kidnapping, Junka Furuta was forced to endure unspeakable suffering and torture. Um, the following is a list of what Junko went through while kidnapped for those 44 days. Junko was kept naked um, almost all the time uh, in order to humiliate her and keep her in that you know state of humiliation and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, over the course of the 44 days, Junko Furuta was raped um, over 400 times by Miyano and his friends, which is the, you know, the, the gang of the four boys, mm-hmm. as well as other boys they knew whom they invited over and encouraged to hurt her. Um, apparently, Hiroshi, which is the leader of the gang, the one who she rejected and the one who essentially devised this plan to kidnap her, uh, apparently Hiroshi would invite other boys from the neighborhood, other classmates that went to the same school as Junko, uh, and other, supposedly other Yakuza members to come and take turns raping her and, and torturing her and having their way with her. That's just insane. That's just disgusting. You know, like yeah. I, to know that though that many men knew or boys knew what was going on and still nothing was done you know what i mean that's crazy to me yeah of course 100 percent. like that that part of the i mean this whole case is just mind-blowing like yeah so great like it's just the torture she went through which again we haven't 100 percent even dived into yet but we're getting into it um it's just in, in and of itself it's the craziest that i've ever heard 
yeah. uh, the worst. But on top of that, like just the fact, like this fact alone is mind blowing that when, you know, when they uncovered her body and they were able to do forensic analysis on it, they determined she was raped over uh, four, between 400 to 500 times. Yeah. Um, and multiple men like raped her, multiple people, you know, oh, yeah. raped her. So there's no telling how many people did it in total. We know the four boys for sure did it. And we know it's confirmed that other men did it, but we don't know exactly how many. The numbers, the number of men that, that committed sexual assault against Junko Furuta is still, um, no one exactly knows, yeah. but we know it was multiple. And just the fact that anyone, it was um, her classmate, you know, her fellow classmates in neighborhood, like the fact people that none of them, her. Yeah, like no one came forward to to the police, like no one, any of that stuff. No one came forward to put an end to it, despite everything that was going on. Like that's what's crazy to me. Um, and again, like I don't know if it was, I really don't know if it if it was like they were just scared of the yakuza, like the parents mm-hmm. were, or if they were just like, well, we, I really just don't care because like, yeah, you know, because I'm involved in it or whatever. You know, I really don't know what the answer is. Yeah. But either way, there's no excuse for it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, honestly, there's no excuse. Okay, if you were afraid, I understand to an extent, but also just don't hurt someone. Like, this ruins people's lives. This is somebody's life. Like, she's not a rag doll to be used for your pleasure, you know? She's a human being, mm-hmm. a young, bright woman. So it's just crazy to me. Yeah, I just can't. Um, additionally, like at, at one point, um, it's reported that she was raped by 12 different men in one day. Um, and on top of that, they would insert bottles, iron bars, scissors, skewers, um, lit fireworks, and even a lit light bulb into her vagina and anus. Um, and her... So they would insert all sorts of crazy things. That That's just some of what they would insert into Jeez. her, in her vagina and, and her anus, and essentially sodomize her with, with these objects. Mm-hmm. So of course, you know, these things are gonna do some inc- yeah, crazy internal damage to her with, you know, with the scissors and the bars, just like, and then this is just so crazy. Like they would light fireworks and put it inside of her. That's just horrible. Yeah. And apparently um, they inserted like a an actual like, turned on or like lit light bulb into her and they kept like uh for, they uh, rubbed like, it yeah, until they, it exploded right her. correct yeah exactly they kept like messing with it until it <sighs> broke and like busted inside of her and that like destroyed like her insides and because of that because of it the exploding light bulb inside of her vagina it destroyed her internal anatomy and it left her unable to defecate or urinate properly yeah um which oh my god like that's so so crazy like yeah. horrible reading this like this part of the of this for me was honestly so hard to read and so sad like right now i'm trying not to cry but it honestly was just so sad to know that th- that's just not only terrible like disgustingly terrible it's humiliating that she had to go through this that they felt like oh let me just stick things inside of her let me just do this to be an asshole essentially i don't know like when i was reading this i it really was triggering for me just imagining i don't know it just was a terrible thing like i can't imagine what goes on through someone's head to think that they can do stuff like that like 
who thinks to do those things to somebody? I don't know in what mindset these kids were in, but... And that's the crazy part. They're kids, too. They're yeah. 18, 16. Uh, the youngest I read was, like, 15 or 14. Yeah, so, 15, I think, was the youngest. And actually, yeah, the leader, Hiroshi, I know earlier I said he was 18. He was 17 at the time of the murder. Yeah. But at the time of the trial, he was 18. But, um, yeah, so they were all under... That's the crazy part about this, too. Like, they, it wasn't, like, an adult doing this to a kid yeah i mean it would have been horrible either way but the fact that this was these were other kids doing it to a classmate you know what i mean like that's just so hard to like wrap around like it's hard for me to wrap my head around it like just the thought of that just these these crazy acts of torture that they're doing to her they're so insane and so inhumane like these these kids aren't even human you know they're 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 monsters essentially they're horrible you know like where's their humanity during all this and Another thing, like with Japanese culture, you tend to stay where you're living for a while. So these people that are classmates of hers could have grown up with her, like just moved up classes together. Mm-hmm. So they could have known her all her life. Yeah. Like, that's the a big possibility. So the fact that they knew this person so well and still, you know, that's yeah. just crazy. That's so true because like even in America, like obviously mm-hmm. it's not as common but it is i'd say fairly common where like a kid would he grows up and lives in a certain city right all of his mm-hmm. life or a certain part of town or like let's say a kid in america lives in one house his whole life right throughout yeah. his childhood then he would go to the you know go to the elementary school middle school and high school as you know that you grow up with classmates essentially yeah. like you all grow up with people of course some people move and go away but like i have several friends who who know people that they went to elementary middle school and high school together like yeah. they all went to the same not necessarily like they were friends but they knew each other yeah and they watched each other grow up because they lived in the same part of town all their life mm-hmm. and so if that's how it is in america and you're saying like that's japan, very common in yeah japan. it's it's common to like you know you pretty much stay in your neighborhood for a while you know they're b- really big on like community in japan and like if you buy a house in japan that's basically like the house you want to grow up in your children to grow up in for a while you know yeah so yeah so i mean you're you're that's a very good point that you brought up i mean odds are they could have definitely grown up with you know junko and known her since she was young and yeah. that's the crazy part about it so i mean it's it's just a whole other level of insanity and, and horrible um it's just horrible yeah. so in addition to all of this all these things that they were inserting in her and, and doing to her when they and this was all part of the sexual assault aspect of it, but when they weren't raping her or sexually assaulting her, the boys would force her to do terrible things, like they would uh, force her to eat live cockroaches. Um, they would force her to masturbate in front of them so that they could get turned on. They forced her to drink her own urine and eat her own feces, which um, is so horrible. While and while she was still alive, uh, she was hung from the ceiling. And beaten with golf clubs, bamboo sticks, and iron rods. Um, her eyelids and um, genitalia were burned with cigarettes, lighters, and hot wax. Junko was starved uh, and was provided only enough water to, to keep her alive, so only like the bare minimal. Jeez. Her left nipple, when they, when they found her body, her left nipple was completely ripped off by pliers. Jesus. Um, they would tie her hands and feet up. Uh, they would tie her, her hands and feet up and lay her on the floor. Uh, her Yeah, lay her back on the floor. And then they would drop dumbbells on her stomach and on her hands and feet. 
um, just repeatedly over and over. And obviously this would cause, you know, this, internal. yeah, this would cause severe internal damage and this would result in her not being able to use the restroom correctly. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it definitely messed her up on, on the inside as well as the outside. Um, and then again, she would also be hung from the ceiling and used as like a punching bag. Yeah. Um, so they would just like punch her while she was hanging there. Which, and uh, she was also reportedly kept in a freezer for several hours and her breasts were pierced with sewing needles. So just just horrible, horrible, like horrific things. This, these were being done to her like daily for 44 days straight. Yeah. 44, for 44 days straight, this, these things were being done to her. Um, so this is just, I mean, horrific, horrific forms of torture. About halfway through her time spent at the house, so about 20 days in, uh, Junko could no longer breathe through her nose due to the accumulation of blood in her cavities mm-hmm. um, and her traumatized like internal organs at a certain point they refused to accept food or water so when she would try to drink um, she instantly just vomited it up which kept you know just kept her even more dehydrated because she didn't have a lot of water to begin with yeah. so throwing up anything she did take in it just left her like insanely dehydrated Jeez. it also agitated the perpetrators though you know it agitated the, the gang of you know the, the gang of boys and it agitated them and they would punish her for it with more beatings because they were upset that she soiled their carpet you know what i mean because she couldn't help it yeah uh, because of what they did to her yeah y'all are the reason she can't like urinate properly or i that is just crazy yeah no they're i mean they're literally pieces of shit like they're they're all like they're not human they don't deserve to live they don't deserve like they deserve like, everything they did to Junko Furuta, they deserve, like, times 10. You know what I mean? It's yeah, horrible. Absolutely I, horrible. You know, I just talked to one of my friends about, like, the death penalty. And if if he asked me, do you think that this is right? And for me, I honestly grew up with, in, you know, we grew up with our family in law. We have our uncle who's a lawyer and mm-hmm. um, our aunt who's a paralegal right now. And, you know, I, I never want to say, like, I feel like someone should get the death penalty. But when I was reading this case, the human side of me or the, like, it was just so hard for me that I was like, I don't know if I can say that these people don't deserve the death penalty. Like, this is just such a terrible, terrible thing that any, I don't understand. Anyone who does this to a human, you cannot have a slice of humanity in you. Like, you see this girl in so much agony you hear her screams you hear her cries you hear how much agony she's in and you literally keep doing this shit to her like like it's nothing you know um i just exactly this is like super crazy and a hard thing to hear about you know exactly 100 percent. yeah i mean like you know I, i don't ever i try not to judge like because it's it's not something that you can quantify. Mm-hmm. I try not to judge like evilness, if that makes sense. Like it's the yeah. best, best way to put it. Like I think last week when I was when Michael was on was on the, the the podcast, we were talking about like there's actual an actual like doctor who made a scale of evil. And I think he said the levels one through twenty two or something like that. Um, and while I haven't researched the scale, but like I try not to quantify it or try to rate evilness because evil yeah. it's it's hard to quantify. You can't you know what I mean? And How do you determine? Sometimes you know yeah, and sometimes you. For me, I definitely take into account their mental health as well. A lot of serial killers or, you know, mass murderers or things like that, rapists have had things happen to them as children. You know, I took child psychology and 
a lot, a lot of things that have happened to rapists as young children have sort of formed them into who they became. Um, but there comes a point where it's like, okay, mental health aside, there you know what you're doing. Like you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. unless unless these people were. You know, which I didn't read anything about mental health during this trial. Like, I didn't see anything about, oh, the boys were actually evaluated by mental health specialists and they were found as, you know, something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I couldn't really feel like, okay, well, this was probably a product of their mental health gone awry, you know. Yeah. But, no. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, there was... They were definitely all, like, saying, like, they couldn't plead insanity, that's for sure. Yeah. Like, they were all saying, they all knew what they were doing. And, like, I, I hear what you're saying in terms of, like, the mental health thing, because, like, mm-hmm. I've talked about on the show, I feel like I talk about this literally every episode, mm-hmm. but, like, nature versus nurture. Yeah. I feel like, you know, evil, like, that evil gene, like, it possibly, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist, because I'm sure there are people who are born in this world with, like, perfect lives, or, like... They never go through traumatic experiences at all, but they become a murderer or they become a rapist or they they just intentionally, they're born with that natural desire to hurt people or cause harm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that doesn't exist because it does, but I'm just saying that I think from all my research, like 90% of the time, it's like nurture. Like they go through traumatic experiences. They're sexually assaulted when they're a kid. They're, you know, just, they are abused and that leads them to become a serial killer or a serial rapist. Is that an excuse? Hell no, that's not no. an excuse at all. So even in this situation, even if these four boys were abused as kids all through growing up, even if they were, you know, abused or sexually assaulted growing up and they were raised to believe that was okay, it's still no excuse for what they did to this poor girl. Yeah. No excuse whatsoever, like... I know, you know I mean? yeah, I know a bunch of people who have been, you know, a bunch of women who I've talked to who have been assaulted at young ages and they're good people. You know, you have to choose to get through it and work through those pains and become a better person. You know, you can't just be a victim and be like, well, because this happened to me, I'm going to do it to others. You know, you have to better yourself. And I know it's not always easy to do, but if it's not easy to do, then you need help with that. Yeah. And you need to put yourself in that help, you know? Exactly. So bottom line, these four guys were pieces of shit and they had no <laughs> excuse for what they did at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going forward, her her physical condition, Junko Furuta's physical condition got so bad that she could not handle anything with her hands anymore because her bones were smashed with the weights, you know, Jeez. that they would constantly drop on her and her fingernails were like cracked or had fallen off. Um, she could no longer walk and it took her over an hour to crawl to the bathroom. Like that's how, that's how, God, it's so horrible. That's how fucking like demolished she was. That's how Mm -hmm. bad, that's how brutally they'd beaten her and, and just her body was just so broken down. Like it just wasn't functioning anymore. She couldn't urinate. She couldn't eat or hold anything down. She couldn't drink. She couldn't go to the restroom. She couldn't do anything correctly. Couldn't walk. You know, it's just like, she was so, I can't even imagine. And I don't want to imagine it because it's just so ridiculous, you know, what she went through. Mm -hmm. Um, So what's crazy about this is there's actually two times that, you know, the police were alerted um, to Furuta's condition and twice the police the police didn't um, successfully intervene. Mm -hmm. So one of the times we already had talked about was when her parents initially called the police because Junko was missing from, you know, she never returned home from work. Yeah. So they initially called the police. Obviously, 
that manhunt was thwarted because Juga was forced to call them and, and say, you know, I ran away with a friend mm-hmm. and I'm here willingly. Like, I ran away willingly. Yeah. Um, the second time, however, it was... Um, the second time... Or actually, I'm sorry. It was actually a total of three times, it looks like. So the first time was with her, her parents did it. That yeah. was called off. The second time, Fruta herself called. Um, but before she was able to say anything, the boys discovered her and... When the police called, discovered her and like hung up. And when the police called back, Miano, which is the owner, you know, the kid whose parents own the house, Shinji Miano. Yeah. Uh, he he assured the police like it had been a mistake. Like, oh, we we just called by a mistake. We dialed it on accident. There's nothing wrong, you know. Yeah. So the police police didn't um, move forward with with any investigation or anything. But as a matter of fact, though, as punishment for her calling the police when they were able to find her, like, or when they found out that she did that. As punishment for that, the boys doused. You know, this is pretty. This is pretty rough to, to talk about, but she, the boys doused Fruta's legs in lighter fluid and set her on fire, oh as God. as punishment for calling the police. Uh, and then the third call, um, the third instance happened when a boy who had been invited over to the Minato house by Miano uh, went went home after seeing Fruta, and obviously. It, I'm, I'm sure he saw, saw her assaulted and in a mm-hmm. horrible condition. And so the boy went home and he told his brother about what was happening to her and what had been happening. Yeah. Um, supposedly the brother then told his parents who contacted the police. Um, the police showed up but were reassured... I'm sorry. The police showed up but were assured by the Minato family that there was no girl inside. And the answer was clearly satisfactory enough for the police because they never returned back to the home and they never got a warrant to go inside or, or asked to go inside, you know? Yeah, which is crazy because, I mean, I, I don't know much about uh, Japanese law um, other than what I... Uh, I got some pieces for this talk today, but I, like, I don't know. Like, here, there's, like, if there's somebody calling about an instance, a police officer will take a look around everywhere before... Like yeah. saying, okay, no, this was a call off. We're just going to call it off, you know? Or they'll ask, can I come inside? Yeah, may I take a look around? Yeah. And if there's, like, someone that's like, no, you won't. No, I don't want you to. Obviously, there's a reason to look around. You know what I mean? So I don't know if in Japanese law that isn't allowed. But that was a huge, huge mistake on the Japanese police right there. Like, and, and I'm not, like, throughout this whole podcast, I'm not trying to, like, bash any anything having to do with Japanese, like, the Japanese people or their culture or everything. Or the, like, judicial system. Yeah, or the judicial system at all. I love their culture. It's just things that I'm, like, you really, really need to reflect. And obviously, we learn from our past history. Even in America, we have so many things that have had to happen, terrible things that led to new laws being made because of them, you know? Yeah. So hopefully they have reflected on this. Well, I mean, honestly, just reading this really, really pissed me off because, you know, it's just, it's one thing, like her, her parents, obviously the parents of, of that, of Shinji, the, mm-hmm. the owner of the house, like they, remember they said, well, we didn't come forward because we were afraid of, of Hiroshi, who's mm-hmm. the leader of the gang. We're yeah. afraid of Hiroshi and we knew he had ties to the Yakuza. We're afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. But like... You go as so far as to protect them, though, like as yeah. far as to say, like tell the police, yeah, or to lie to the authorities and say, like, no, there's no girl here. 
mm-hmm. when you know there's clearly a girl there and there's been a girl there for 44 days or 30 days, whatever point in time that they, you know, yeah. went to, to pay them a visit. Like, that's just so insane. It's so infuriating. In my opinion, in my opinion, the, uh, the parents should be facing jail time too. That's 100% mm-hmm. my opinion. I think, I 100% believe that um, that the parents should face some sort of penalty or jail time for that because yeah. they were essentially they were you know uh, they were kind of aiding accomplices. their accomplices in, in the crime essentially because they knew it was going on they were a bit abetting a criminal mm-hmm. abetting criminal activity they know it was going on but they didn't do it out of fear but they weren't directly threatened you know like yeah. they never threatened the parents saying like oh if you tell anybody what's going on we're gonna kill. Yeah. you or whatever they weren't directly threatened they just did it out of fear they're like well we didn't want to get involved because we know of his ties you know that's just so disgusting and like yeah. honestly the parents are just as guilty as the boys who did it to her that's my stance 100% like they're just as guilty they might as well have raped her themselves they might as well have inserted those objects into her because they didn't stop it they sure as hell didn't stop it yeah. and they sure as hell didn't help the police bring a stop to it yeah. so that's disgusting and definitely later on in the podcast I have some notes on on things that I've seen with Japanese culture, I am um, subscribed to Japan Times, like the New York Times here mm-hmm. in, in America. I'm subscribed to Japan Times, and I like to read about, like, you know, cultural things, but also social injustices as well. So there's some things that yeah, definitely. I want to bring up. But Yeah, for sure. Well, definitely. Sorry, that's my rings keep hitting the table here. But um, yeah, so... We definitely will bring that up, and that way you can talk about it because I think yeah. that needs to be talked about for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot. Um, so yeah, so essentially, those are the three different times that the police could have an almost, you know, what we're called essentially an almost, you know, got involved enough to where they could have brought an end to it, but yeah. something just kept getting in the way, or someone didn't do what they should have done. Yeah. Um, so during uh, her 44 days of captivity, Junko begged her captors to just kill her and end her torment. So she would yeah. repeatedly and often cry out to them just saying, you know, just kill me already, just kill me already. That was like a, a famous quote that she would say mm-hmm. while they were torturing her. She would just say, just kill me already, which 100%, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going through this horrible, horrible torture. Like death is, death is so like, Freeing. Yeah, death is like the only comfort at that point, right? You just yeah. want to die at that point, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boys obviously continued to torture, and they didn't, they didn't listen at all or care about her, her cries or screams of pain. Um, on January 4th, 1989, the boys challenged Junko to a solitaire game. So the name of the game is Mahjong. Ma- Ma- yeah, Mahjong solitaire game. And... Uh, they challenged Junko to this game. Apparently, Junko won. Um, honestly, I don't know, like, what this game... I mean, I know it's solitaire, but I don't know, like, how much effort it really takes in it. But I'm just kind of going out on a limb here when I say this, but I imagine Junko wasn't very enthusiastic to play it, and she probably wasn't very into it, considering the condition of her mental and physical being. Yeah. She probably was just doing whatever, you know, like, the bare minimum, like, not paying attention, like, probably couldn't even fully... Comprehend. comprehend or grasp like the game or what was going on or you know pay attention to it because she was so like battered battered and like traumatized from what was going on so like it's safe to say that like whatever game they were playing had more to do with like luck or chance or whatever right yeah um well anyway junko ended up winning which i which again like i feel like this case had or this game had a lot to do with like luck or whatever right mm-hmm. junko ended up winning 
And apparently the boys were so pissed off, they were so enraged that the, the girl, Ajunko, had beaten them in the game that they took an iron barbell and began beating her with it. And then they doused her whole body in lighter fluid and lit her on fire, her whole body. Um, and, you know, at that point, being already severely beaten, malnourished, dehydrated, and burned alive, Junko Fruitsa finally, you know, fell into shock and, and, and passed on. Wow. Um, that's when she was officially... Deceased. Uh, deceased, right, yeah. Jeez. So that was... That's essentially how she died. Um, so kind of going into the aftermath of, of what happened after uh, Junko Fruitsa's death... Um, so once she had passed away, um, the four boys, uh, got her body and they, they dumped her body in a 55 gallon drum, uh, and filled it with concrete, um, before dropping it on a cement trunk and in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was actually really stupid of them to, to put it in concrete because if you know anything about concrete, it keeps like bacteria and like the natural like parasites and maggots from getting into it and causing the body to naturally deteriorate and naturally um what's the word for it you know yeah. like uh break down and, and decompose yeah yeah it, it, it helps the body decompose at a much slower rate because it's so i mean concrete it's like airtight it's compact mm -hmm. so it kind of protects the body and preserves the body in a way so it was really stupid that they did that because when the investigators were finally able to find the body, they were able to uncover all this evidence of what had been done to her. Yeah. All this, they were able to find all this physical evidence on her, you know what I mean? Like sperm and stuff like that. Um, so in a way, like they, I mean, these boys were stupid anyway, but yeah, it's just kind of further evidence of that. Mm -hmm. But so once they dumped her body in the concrete, um, two weeks later, the police arrested two of the boys that are a part of the gang. Uh, which was Shinji Miyano, and then the other boy whose last name is Agura. And um, they, the police arrested them on a separate charge. It was a, it was a gang rape charge, but it was a separate incident. Um, so during the police's interview with Miyano, uh, like during their interrogation of him, the police mentioned an open murder investigation, um, believing that it was the murder of Furuta and that his friend or gang, you know, his fellow gang member, Ogura, um, he, he feared that he confessed to the police. And so Miyano told the police where they could find Furuta's body. Wow. Yeah, so they were interrogating uh, Shinji and... For a separate For case. a separate ch case. And they brought up, like, the murder, the open murder investigation. And so Shinji's like, oh, shoot, like, I guess Ogura, like, ratted me out. I guess yeah. he confessed to try to get a deal or something, so I'm going to confess. So he told police of, the, of Furuta's body. But the crazy thing is that that was not the case they were referring to at all. Mm -hmm. They were referring to a separate case that had nothing to do with Junko. So the police were able to find Junko Furuta's body based on what uh, Miyano told them. And if it hadn't been for his uh, stupid mess up, they probably would have never found Junko Furuta, you know? Wow. I mean, who's to say, but yeah. uh, they most likely would have never found her body. So it's like, it's a good thing that that mess up happened. Mm -hmm. um, so in the end, you know, the murder case, which the police had been referencing, you know, it had been unrelated to Furuta, but Miyano had unwittingly turned himself in. And within days, all four boys were in custody, in police custody. Yeah. Um, despite the unspeakable torture of Junko Furuta, the boys received shockingly light sentences. Um, this reportedly was because they were all under the age of 18 at the time of the murder mm -hmm. um 
so they were tried as juveniles. Yeah. So three of the boys served less than eight years in prison, mm-hmm. which is insane. And the leader of the group, Hiroshi, was sentenced to 17 years, but he later tried to appeal the case, and the judge actually bumped it up to 20 years. So he yeah. attacked on some more years, which is, I mean, which is good, but it really should be life, you know? Yeah. Or the death, exactly. actually the death penalty, in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. So either way, all four perpetrators are, I believe they're like in their 40s right now. It's either like late 30s or 40s, and they're all they're all out of prison at this well, point. Oh yeah, like I have here, uh, Hiroshi changed his name. They were able to change their name, so like they don't really have, you know, like where you hear about, oh, you know, like the Night Stalker with his name. Well, like anytime mm-hmm. you'd see him, or if he got had gotten released or something, people would know, you know. But in Japan, they were able to change their name to Hiroshi Yokoyama. Um, he only served 20 years when he was 18. So he, when he was 38, he was released. And then like wow. Joe, Joe Ogura changed his name to Joe Kamisaka. And he only served eight years. So he got out in August, 1999. Like, Shin, uh, so Shinji Minato, he changed his whole name to Nabuharu Minato, um, he only served like five to nine years. Mm-hmm. He had nine years at first, but then they lessened his actually to five years. And then Yasushi Watanabe, um, since he was 17, he only served five to seven years. And like, wow, it's just crazy how they didn't get as many years as they should have. And then like others who were in, in di- indicate, what is it called? Indicted. Yeah, others that were indicted later Due to evidence found on Juko's bodies, yep. like uh, Koichi Ihara and Tetsu Nakamura, mm-hmm. they only got like eight years each. So it's just crazy that they all have such light sentences. But if that were to happen here in America, oh, you'd probably get life. You'd, yeah. You I mean, or once you're an adult, because usually it's you're tried as a juvenile, but then once you're an adult, you get tried as an adult. Yeah, you, know? you get tried. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, hopeful. I would like to think, I mean, like I said, like, it's not just Japan who has a messed up judicial system. Oh, yeah. No. Like, America definitely has a messed up judicial system, sure. too. So, it's, it's, I'd like to think that if this something like this happened in America, they would get, like, life in prison or the death penalty, depending on the state. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know because they were juveniles, so I'm not sure what the law is on in America for that. But obviously, in Japan, it was very light. It was, it was a very, very light sentence, super light sentence for what they deserved and what they did. Um, that's just insane to me. Like, just like wrap your head around that concept. They did all these horrible things to this, to this poor, beautiful, like bright girl. She had such a bright future ahead of her. Mm-hmm. She was brilliant in her class, great grades, didn't do drugs, didn't smoke, didn't drink. She was, she was beautiful. And like, they, they took out, they snuffed out her life like that, you yeah. know, before she could even really blossom into who she was going to be and, as an adult. Yeah, and not even saying, like, if you do those things, like, you deserve it, but saying, like, any woman yeah. shouldn't have to go through that shit. Like, you should be able to live your best life the way you're living it and not have anything of the sort ever happen to you. A hundred percent. Even if this, even if Junko wasn't a good student, even yeah. if Junko was a prostitute, yeah. Or a sex worker. Um, no one deserves this treatment. No one yeah. deserves to be sexually assaulted or murdered or tortured. No one deserves what, you know, no, no one, I mean, even none, even animals don't deserve this. No, nothing, 
nothing on this earth deserves to be treated the way that these four boys treated her, you know? And kind of like going back to what you were saying in terms of like other people were indicted. So kind of like touching on that real quick is like Mm -hmm. the crazy thing is that forensic examiners, like once they were able to pull her body from the concrete and like take it out, they were able to find like they found sperm and pubic hair of other people on the corpse of Junko Furuta. Um, So this indicates that there were definitely other people involved uh, who participated in her rape or sexual assault. And you just named two of them. So there was two of them that they found. But there's, I mean, investigators believe there were so many more that they just can't, they just don't have the evidence for. But there was definitely more according to what, like, the confessions have been, you know? Yeah. Like, it's just insane. We'll never really know how many there were. But just the fact that there were so many people involved in her like assault and her torture and they didn't not one of them decided to come forward other than i mean i guess that brother did but or be a good human and and say something or like i don't know it's just crazy to me yeah it's it's horrible that's where i wanted to talk about like japan's cultural issue with the salt (laughs) i think like like this is i was reading on some of the laws in japan and it's crazy just how recently Japan is just now doing something about it, you know? Like, I think of all the women in Japan who were silenced or or their case wasn't looked at as deeply because of the laws in Japan. Like, the government of Japan passed the penal code in 1907, so it stipulated that rape must involve intimidation, violence, or taking advantage of the victim's state of mind. Like, otherwise, a victim must prove that they actively resisted to launch a successful case. So, you have to have proof that you said no. Like, they don't take your word for it. Like, you have to show some sort of proof. The law also limited the classification of rape, defining it as a forced vaginal penetration with a penis. So, any other sort of... Yeah. Wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And then the legislature amended the bill in 2017. It recognized forced anal and oral sex. It also imposed harsher penalties for rape. However, it did not include penetration by a foreign object. And the legislature also maintained that the penal code's active resistant requirement. So it maintained that you have to actively be saying no. You have to prove that you actively were saying no. Yeah prove that which if it's just you and this guy how are you able to actively prove that other than saying i resisted i said no like yeah um so reaffirming that victims ought to act a certain way even as they undergo trauma to gain the state's recognition um and it's no wonder many cases end without conviction Mm -hmm. and in japan um i was reading a case about um this is recently or somewhat recently, it's about Shiori Ito. So she is like, she's in Time Magazine actually for being a very influential Japanese woman woman who uh, she helped inspire the Me Too movement in Japan and the na- uh, National Flower Demonstration. So like, um, it's a protest movement against sexual violence where women simply gather together standing with flowers telling their stories of victimization but hers is because she was a journalist, um, like a high-ranking jur- human rights journalist, um, um, and she was 
sexually violated by somebody in the government in Japan. Jesus. And, like, the police made her reenact her raping with a police officer. They made her reenact. So can you imagine going through something so traumatic and having to reenact that just to prove that it happened? And um, they, at first, she didn't win her. She didn't win, like, against the accused man. And the police even said, you're a bright, beautiful woman. Like, can you imagine what this is going to do to your career if you fight against this? Like, basically trying to talk her out of coming forward about it. Yeah. But um, she, uh, even though he was, like, a political power... Um, he did escape criminal prosecution, but she won a civil suit against him in December. And this is like, this is like very recent. Um, she, this article, I, I implore everyone to go read about it. It's on Time Magazine's like, uh, on their website, but it just published in last year, September 22nd of 2020. And um, it just goes to show like, the problems that are arisen in Japan. Like, even I told you, I follow this person on TikTok. I I need to look up his name. He actually just stopped making videos, but um, he is half Japanese, half American, but he lived in Japan for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And he likes to talk about, um, and you know, I kind of, when I was growing up and I was getting really into Asian culture, I was finding myself not fetishizing but really glossing over Japan and you know just like here in America you know people from outside of America think oh America is so perfect or you know or they used to America is the dreamland right even though there's so much wrong with America mm-hmm. that's how growing up I kind of saw Japan I was like it's such a beautiful place which it is you know like it's a beautiful place it has beautiful culture and everything but they're just like here in America where there's a lot wrong, there's a lot wrong there, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of the things is just how women are treated over there. He talks about how, like, there is a separate train for women to get to work in Japan because of all the women that are sexually assaulted on the train in Japan. Like, it's such a big deal that they have to have a separate train where wow. it's only women. That's insane. And, and my thing is, you are, you, yes, you're helping women by putting this separate train, but at the same time, why don't you talk to, why don't you talk to your people and like. Yeah, let's get to the root of the issue yeah, and not just put a band aid on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, teach your people and teach your culture that women are to be, you know, Respected. Respected. Yeah. And you do not put your hands on a woman unless she gives you permission. You ask for consent. No means no. If she's not saying anything, if she's frozen, that does not mean yes. That just, she could be scared. She could be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is like a lot of what's happening in Japan and is still continuing. And it's a sort of culture that I've learned through research, especially on Japan uh, times, mm-hmm. is like it's a very idealist um, culture. So like if it's ideal, if it if it is going to disrupt the peace of the culture, they don't want to mess with it. Like there are high suicide rates 
in Japan because of if you're seen as weird or different, oh, you're outcasted in Japan. Or if you're trying to make noise in this place, like you're gonna be outcasted because we don't need somebody disrupting the flow of our ideology. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for her to, for Shiori Ito to come out and talk about these things, oh, she was highly criticized, you know? But it did, for this new generation of Japan, it is teaching them and showing them, like, we need to speak up. We need to move on. So it's not like, I definitely am not trying to bash Japan. Like, there are movements coming up that are helping Japan, like, grow. Mm-hmm. But it definitely, like, there definitely needs to be some help from the government side and from schooling. Like, teach your children about you know how to be better definitely yeah no i definitely agree with that i mean it's crazy i didn't know i didn't know about that i actually didn't know especially about the train thing like yeah have a separate train for women because it's such an issue like sexual assault like you know that's just crazy that's crazy i mean we don't have that in america that i know of but um yeah that's that is very telling for sure like that's Mm -hmm. definitely an issue obviously if they have that um i think it's like you said like it's um they need to get to the root of the issue and and you know make it more about how are you raising your kids and how are you what are you putting into how are you portraying it in the media how are you portraying kids consent in the media or um women and like respect and and all of that how are you portraying it in the media because it starts with media you know and then also just education too educating your educating boys and and it's not just boys right i mean you know i'm sure sexual assault does it's it's a two-way street you know i'm sure it does occur like in reverse situations where girls do it to guys but statistically speaking uh a guy on girl sexual violence and assault yeah. is way like it's it's way outnumbers that of the reverse situation so yeah educating boys on like you said you know like no means no consent respect women if it's yeah. um they have to give you explicit you know consent and and permission to even touch them you know what i mean like it's just um, the, the education is such a big deal. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do, having that train to protect women, which I think is good. But at the same time, it's just a band-aid. They need to get to the root of the issue, which is, I think, one is media. Like, how are you portraying, you know, sexual interactions in the media? How are you portraying, like, consent in the media and women in the media? How are you portraying that? And then also just education, like, educating people of that, you know. Yeah, and, like, they are... You know, I reading here, they are implementing new policies to like aim to promote educational resources, strengthen support for survivors and prevent like reoffending stuff. But because Japan lags behind other countries in sexual education, like the plan is still in its infancy. And who knows how long these things are gonna take before they are passed through all the laws for them to be, you know, put for, to use you know yeah so but think about all the girls like that like they say like that even though they rarely test for date rape and if they do they after a certain amount of time they throw them away or they dispose of them mm-hmm. Would that's somebody's evidence you know right so it's just crazy to me and i i think it definitely you know like it impacts not only mm-hmm. women but other people and children, LGBTQ people in that. Um, and it's just crazy. Yeah, no, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, so I guess before I close it out, I just want to touch on the, just kind of Junko Furita story and popular culture and, and what 
kind of what it's inspired or, or you know who's drawn inspirations from it um so the torture and murder of junko furuta um sparked international outrage uh, and her case actually inspired several movies and a, and a manga um, illustrated by kamata yuji um the most noteworthy film is the film entitled Con- concrete encased well it's a jap it's in the the title of the film is in japanese but if you translate it it, it means concrete encased high school girl murder case um, obviously not a very creative title, but I mean, it is what it is. That's pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie was released in 1995. Uh, the movie was directed by Katu- Kat- Katsuya Mats- Matsumura. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's the most popular one. It looks like a uh, film about her. Um, but in 2004, a independently produced Japanese film came out about her called Concrete, and that was based on the events, you know, leading to the murder of Junko Furuta. Um, also, there's been three books that were written by Japanese authors um, who were inspired by the case, um, and there is actually a, you know, like I said earlier, there's a manga based on her story, which is called Seventeen Sai, and apparently, again, I haven't. I haven't read any of these, mind you, so I don't know, but 17 Sai supposedly um, it's a little bit different because supposedly the ending of the story is different, like it has like a happy ending, sort of, mm-hmm. um, but it's heavily, heavily inspired and based on Junko Furuta's case, yeah. so I don't know if you're into manga, I guess you can go check it out and, and let me know like how it is, but that one, that one supposedly does it justice in the sense that, I mean, justice sort of, like it tells the story, but obviously the ending's different. Um, but then supposedly there's another manga out there. I don't know what the name of it is. I really don't care to know the name of it, honestly. But this other manga, uh, supposedly it's like a, I don't know who created it, but essentially it's like a sexualized hentai fetish. Yeah, fetishized like version of the case. Like they they take the case like like um, event by event. Like they do it exactly like they exactly like tell the story of Junko Furuta, but they they like you know make it really sexualized as if like people who are into like that that sort of gross or i'm not that i am trying to attack anyone's preference but there is this sort of culture of hentai um not only in japan i'm sure there are many um, people who watch it but there is this sub sub hentai that's like called frape which is like has to do with rape Mm-hmm. And sexualizing rape, which for me personally is completely wrong. Like, I know everyone has their sexual preferences and what they, you know, what you do in your bedroom with your partner, that's your business. But when you're sexualizing something that is terrible and have these hentai, have these anime characters or these manga characters saying no, but it's sexualizing the the rape aspect i just think that's terribly wrong i think rape should never be sexualized it's not something that's that is attractive or should be found as attractive it's something that's disgusting and should be seen as that as really gross so i don't agree with that manga yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, so I don't. Again, like I don't know what the name of that manga is, um, or whatever. But supposedly, it, it it's not a very, not a very good manga. Like it's it it really like fetishizes what this 
what Junko went through. And like, hey, like if you're into that, if you're into like if you're into hentai or if you're into like like rape fantasies in in your sexual life or whatever, like that's your prerogative. Like you have the ability to that's your thing, right? That's your choice. But I think it's so wrong to do it based on this case, like any case where it actually happened based on something that's actually real or really happened. I think that's a hundred percent wrong and, and so messed up because like I said, these were real, this was a real person. This was a real case. This really happened. So basing a manga off that and then like using that to like get people off, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is disgusting. Like I understand if you make up a fake story, like, you know, there's erotic like novels, like fake novels. Yeah. I understand if you want to make up a fake story and like use that, like whatever, that's your choice. I'm not going to judge. But using like an actual real case, I think that's very disrespectful to the family of Junko Furuta. It's very disrespectful yeah. to Junko Furuta's memory. And I think that's where you were getting at. I think yeah. that's where we both agree on that. Like, that's just disrespectful. Like, don't use a real life case or a real life scenario of that. If you want to make up a fake one to like, because you're into that, like, that's your choice. Not judging you for that. But like, to use a real life case, it's so disrespectful and that's yeah. not cool. So yeah, that manga, I don't know the name of it. I don't care to know the name of it, but... Definitely 17 Sai. I think it's called Sai. It's S-A-I. Um, but that's the manga, supposedly, that's based on Junko Furuta's case. It has a different ending, but um, yeah, so that definitely was inspired by the Junko Furuta case. But that's um, that's really all I have for today. It's all, that's the, it's, it was a short case, but that's, um, I'm glad we were able to just get through it because that was, that was a really, really rough one. Yeah. Again, like, you know, I don't, I think we both agree that this is, the worst this is the worst case that i've ever read about um again just just the sheer like amount of torture and and, and pain and suffering that this girl had to go through at yeah. such a young age was the worst that i've ever heard of and it's, it's just horrible and i just want to end it end the podcast by saying like if you or anyone you know has been sexually assaulted or is currently going through that or or experiencing that you know please reach out to someone you know that you you trust or that you know or reach out to the police or there's even hotlines for these for these sorts of events or the things you know like you're not alone yeah. the worst thing that can happen is if the worst thing that can happen is you feeling alone like you're not alone and, and you can't overcome this alone you know like you yeah. have people here who care even if you've never met them there's there's literally people who are passionate about the cause of Definitely. bringing an end to sexual assault and and um, holding people accountable like the me too movement you know mm -hmm. so i just want to end the podcast by saying that like had people been more um, conscious about this during Junko Furuta's life, maybe it could have saved her life, you know? Yeah. Had people come forward, had one of the boys who were in the neighborhood who got invited, had they come forward and and, and brought this to the attention of, of the police, her, perhaps her life could have been saved and her story could have ended differently. So I just want to say if you or anyone you know of has experienced this or is going through this, you know, please help them and, and please reach out and, and, you know. Yeah, and if you're a victim of sexual assault, just know that you are worth so much. Like, I know as someone who I have dealt with a sexual assault on my own, your feelings are valid. You are someone who is worth so much your life is so beautiful and just because somebody decided to take advantage of that does not mean that you're not valuable you are so beautiful and if you're struggling 
with did was this sexual assault was this not maybe i'm freaking out about this if you feel like it was wrong and you felt like it was a no for you then it was a no and i would just please ask you to you know really think about it and you know if you're a believer or anything if you are religious or anything pray about it but please reach out to somebody to tell somebody it feels so much better when you let somebody in on how you're feeling because um, I know after something like that you can feel so worthless but you really are you really are a light to this world you need you are needed in this world and you are so beautiful so I just wanted to say that before we close if anyone is feeling like they're not we're all we're all here for each other you know we're all in this race called life together we're all humans and we're all part of the human race so just important to remember that you know um but yeah i just uh i hope this case is this this case is was a really really tough one and it's one of those cases that isn't talked about enough like surprisingly not many people have covered the case compared to other cases out there and it's honestly the worst case i've ever heard of so it's it kind of shocked me how how um how um little known this case is like not many people know about this case that i that i know of again it did happen in japan and, and and i live in america so maybe that that is why but that's why i'm covering this topic this case specifically because i want to bring attention to this not only to sexual assault and, and obviously rape and murder but um to this case specifically because you know junko furuta even though she's no longer with us her memory still lives on 100 percent, and she'll never be forgotten and i just want to honor her memory and um, bring attention to the case and and get more get the case more out there so that people can know um, so that this doesn't happen to anyone else ever again. So yeah, I just want to honor Junko Furuta, and you know she's she may be gone and, and passed on, but um, she's definitely not forgotten. Her memory's not forgotten, and I hope she's um, in a peaceful place and at, and at rest. Finally, at rest. Um, well, that looks like that's all the time we have for today. I'm your host Darius, and I'm Juby. And um, thank you for tuning in to the Devil's Hour, a podcast for the strange and unusual. I'll see you guys next time. Yeah.